0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. 1203, Wednesday, October 11th. Good morning, everybody out there. I'm Juds Richards in for Rob Hart. Well, Walgreens is getting a new leader as it moves toward a greater presence in health care. We'll cover that in our next segment right now on this Personal Finance Wednesday. We're taking a family approach to money joining us on the village of bedford park business line reminding you to bring your business home is craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer wealth management group inverness and downers grove craig thanks so much for your time today now we're talking about family investment clubs first could you explain what a family investment club is
2: Yeah, Family Investment Club is nothing more than an opportunity for family members, multiple generations to come together to create a shared investment account so we have a shared experience and the opportunity to get empowered through education by actually investing together. So just as there's investment clubs that some people are members of, why not start one within your own family?
1: All right, so help us understand the the benefits of creating a family investment club.
2: Well, you know what, for for so many people, I honestly think it's one more excuse for family to have the art of conversation. And when you have the art of conversation over a targeted topic, say an investment club that meets once per month or once per quarter amongst the family members, it's going to give everyone an opportunity to share ideas and be respectful of multiple points of view of how to invest and be a steward of this pool of money that we've each contributed to.
1: What if if some parents are thinking, I don't know if I make enough money to have uh, this kind of a club, How, how would you or what advice would you give for those that have limited resources?
2: Well, you know, again, we're not talking about creating a foundation here. This isn't something that's going to require millions of dollars, and this isn't something that requires an equal amount of capital to participate. Again, if I put in 5000 my son put in 3000 my daughter put in 2000 I have a 50% stake, he has a 30% stake, she has a 20% stake. And now that the cost to buy and sell stocks is really not that much, Justin, it provides a much better economy of scale for all people to participate if they wanted to try this concept.
1: All right. So let's talk about holding that first organizational meeting for a family investment club. What details do you think most importantly should be addressed first and foremost?
2: Well, this is going to sound incredibly silly, but number one, it's true. we got to come up with a name for the investment club. And then sure. part number two, we need to decide how we're going to start it. Is it going to be a very simple partnership? Is it going to be a very simple LLC? And then someone's going to be the secretary, someone's going to be the treasurer, someone's going to be the president. And the first order of business should be new business, which is what's our investment policy? What's our theme? What? our goal for the club. I assume it's to make money and then start presenting and whiteboarding those ideas of how we pull our resources together to get there.
1: All right. So where, where is the money going? What steps should be taken set of brokerage or bank accounts for the club?
2: Well, when you say what steps should we take, you know, I think you said in terms of brokerage account, bank account, obviously we're going to want to use a good online custodian, someone who's going to give us ease of access so everybody can sign in, everybody can view things in real time, everyone can get interested party statements, and there's plenty of free custodians that are going to provide that work, Justin.
1: Craig, finally, I've got a three-year-old and a 10-month-old. They may not be ready for this club just yet uh which will give me time to study up a little bit but what age groups you think is is right for this
2: I think this is something that families consider. It's not a must-have. I mean, a must-have is we all have to fund our own retirement. That's our 401ks, our Roth IRAs, etc. This is honestly deemed for intellectual gratification when the family member is littered with adults, right? Everybody has a job. Everybody can contribute. And again, we're doing it for the art of conversation. We're doing it for idea generation. And we're also doing it for some sense of camaraderie it's an opportunities for families to come together outside of something beyond holidays, birthday events, and various sporting endeavors.
1: Craig, thanks so much for your time. That's Craig Bolanos, founding partner, chief executive officer of Wealth Management Group Inverness in Downers Grove. Coming up, there's a change in the executive suite at Suburban Base Walgreens. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Well, the Walgreens Boots Alliance has named longtime healthcare executive Tim Wentworth as its new chief executive. Let's discuss the move with Bruce Japson, Chicago-based healthcare writer for Forbes. And Bruce, thanks so much for your time today. New CEO Tim Wentworth has a sizable background in the healthcare industry. Why do you think he's a good fit or do you think he's a good fit for Walgreens?
3: Well, that, that remains to be seen. I mean, so so Tim Wentworth, he uh, is perhaps best known in the industry, if for those of you who um, have a pharmacy benefit manager, Express Scripts. He was the CEO of Express Scripts, which is a pharmacy benefit manager. is basically a, a health insurance company for your drugs, and, and that company is based in St. Louis. So Wentworth is well known, and then, of course, Express Scripts was purchased by Cigna. What the, the knock on the previous CEO, even though they didn't say this when they hired her, Roz Brewer, you know, she came from Starbucks. And was the number two officer there, and they did some acquisitions. But it seems to be that Walgreens definitely wanted somebody with deep healthcare experience, and Wentworth has that. So Walgreens, though, I mean, I would say Wentworth it'd be a good choice. But Walgreens is is a provider of healthcare and not a a payer, a health benefits company, as it were. But so he clearly knows that side of the equation and health benefits companies, including a pharmacy benefit company like Express Script, they pay Walgreens. So the fact that he knows the side of the business that's going to pay Walgreens and their pharmacists through people who have coverage, I think, is probably a a good sign. But Walgreens, there's a lot of risk there because they have spent billions of dollars on Village MD, which is rolling out doctor clinics attached to Walgreens across the country.
1: Bruce, Wentworth is coming out of retirement to take the job besides the obvious of I'm sure, Hefty's salary. What do you think his other motivations are?
3: Well, these, <laughs> these generally, you know, CEOs like to be CEOs. There's a lot of ego in it. And, and you know, well, Walgreens is certainly a, a much better known brand and a bigger brand than Express Scripts. I mean, let's face it, Walgreens is one of the iconic uh, retail and drugstore and now wants to be healthcare brands. And so it's a very prestigious uh, uh, position and and you know and, and Wentworth is is not um, you know he's got a few years of work left in him so I'm sure that uh, he'll be compensated well and I'm sure that he sees it as a challenge to uh, right the ship up there so we'll see
1: what challenges uh, is Walgreens facing and how do you think Wentworth plans to address those
3: well their stock is trading at about a 14 year low and I think Wall Street you know. Uh, People on Wall Street are not geniuses. You know, you can chapter immerse, look at Enron. They didn't see that coming. They didn't see all these things coming. Walgreens still produces a lot of revenue. The challenge for Walgreens is, is with these acquisitions, with the, the, the development of doctor practices, they need to make sure that people are going, their customers, their hundreds of thousands of millions of customers start to use the healthcare services that they are putting inside the Walgreens. Now I think the problem is is that that is not moving fast enough for Wall Street. But in in, in Walgreens favor, let's face it: five years ago you could not get, five, ten, 10 years ago you you couldn't get a vaccination at a Walgreens. You couldn't get a diagnostic test at Walgreens. Most people in America who got who were vaccinated were vaccinated at a drugstore. So there's proof that you can get millions of people who may have never gone to Walgreens, to a Walgreens, the, the challenge for him is going to have to be they have to figure out a way to get customers to use all these services. CVS owns a health insurance company. So CVS can incentivize their 25 million people with Aetna health insurance to use CVS by guiding them with lower co-pays and all sorts of stuff. Bruce, Walgreens, thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Bruce. Bruce is author of the new book, Walmart's Second Opinion, How a Retail Giant is Bringing Cost Transparency and Better Quality to Healthcare. That's Bruce Japson of Chicago-based healthcare writer, for Forbes. Coming up next, is there a bubble in the housing market? We'll tackle that.
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect, impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. While well, there
0: is concern among
1: some experts that the currently hot re- uh, real estate market is set up for a major cool down, Let's get the perspective of Steve Kirch, who's joining us now, Chicago-based real estate and housing expert. Steve, thanks so much for your time today. What top factors on this Personal Finance Wednesday, what top factors contribute to the creation of a housing bubble?
4: Uh, good afternoon, Judson. I think what we're talking about here is really a, a pricing bubble. I think a lot of folks look at the high housing prices and they're not coming down like a lot of people would have expected, as mortgage rates have risen, uh, and, and think that that we're in a bubble in terms of the prices—they're up about 50% uh, since before the pandemic nationally, um, and and a lot more than that in a lot of other neighborhoods and cities. Um, but the problem is that the home price increases really have been sustained not by the same kind of of bubble activity that we saw in 2008 before the financial crisis. But this has really become a supply and demand uh, driven rise in, in home prices. And we don't see those factors changing very much anytime soon.
1: What are we seeing locally?
4: So locally, you know, the, the Chicago area in general has fared better than the national average in terms of home prices. We were always a little cooler when other markets were hotter. Uh, so we don't have the same kind of, of rises that we've seen. I think in Cook County, there were only uh, six housing markets that have seen home prices since the pandemic rise more than the national average has. So that that tells us we're a little bit better shape in Chicago if any sort of pricing crisis does hit the housing market. How does
1: the housing market now differ from the mid-2000s housing bubble that led to the Great Recession? So the
4: housing bubble in 08 was largely driven by a a crisis in subprime lending. Uh, Lenders had gotten out way over their skis. A lot of folks who were not qualified for mortgages were given them. uh, That forced prices up because it was really artificial demand that, that shouldn't have been there. And then when that house of cards came down financially, it wasn't really a, a housing supply or demand question. It was These were financial instruments that got all those financial institutions in trouble, and then that took the housing market down with it. This time, credit quality generally is not an issue in the housing market. We've only got about 2% of homeowners who are underwater on their mortgages today versus almost 25% when the 08 bubble burst.
1: Thank you so much for your time today. Again, that was joining us right now. That was Steve Kirch. He was uh, discussing real estate and housing experts. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. WBBM News Time, 1230. Good afternoon. I'm Judson Richards. And for Rob Hart, these are the top stories on news radio. WBBM. Israel responds to attacks from both its north and south. Chicago's mayor presents his first budget proposal and in-personal finance Wednesday, deciding whether downsizing your home is a good move. Also a huge acquisition will reshape the oil industry in the United States. WBBM Business, the Dow down 101, S&P down eight, Nasdaq up six and back with a forecast again we're looking at a high of 66 degrees today a high near 60 expected tomorrow we're seeing mostly sunny sky 62 degrees with a chance of showers coming up a little bit later today On 1231, airstrikes in Gaza continue nearly nonstop as the Hamas-controlled territory prepares for an expected ground invasion by Israel's army. More from CBS's Holly Williams.
0: New
2: horrors are still emerging from the communities where Hamas militants went on a bloody killing spree. After finally wresting back control of Kafar Aze Kibbutz, a small farming community... Israeli security forces discovered the aftermath of a massacre. Residents were murdered wherever the gunmen found them. We see blood spread out in homes. We, we, we found bodies of people who had been butchered. The, the depravity of it is, is haunting. Major Libby Vice told us Israeli soldiers at Kfar Aza reported finding slaughtered children.
1: Meantime, missiles have been fired into northern Israel from areas inside Lebanon that are controlled by Hezbollah, a Hamas ally. Mayor Johnson has unveiled a $16.6 billion city budget for the 2024 fiscal year. It includes funding to open two of the city's six closed mental health clinics, which will be in existing health department facilities to keep costs down. It also features more than $250 million to deal with a major urban issue. Homelessness is up 12% since 2019. And black Chicagoans account for almost 70% of the unhoused population. The mayor notes the budget holds the line on property taxes, fines, and fees. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park Business Line, reminding you to bring your business home is Tim Grisky, senior portfolio strategist in Galls and Snyder, they in New York. Tim, thanks so much for your time today. Key data shows inflation continues to run hot. It seems like markets are shrugging off the news. Do you think that to be true?
5: Hi, Judson. uh, Pleasure to be with you. Well, uh, the producer price index was above expectations today. That's one of the measures of inflation that the Fed looks at. Uh, But I think, you know, and and tomorrow you're going to have consumer price index uh, released. And, you know, we'll see what what goes there, what happens there. But, you know, the Fed is primarily focused on the producer, uh, on, on the um, employment cost index. And that's really where uh, what it matters most to them.
1: On the geopolitical front, how is the Israel-Hamas conflict impacting global markets?
5: Well, it's certainly impacting any uh, stocks, any companies located in that region of the world. Uh, I think, you know, uh, a a little bit of trepidation in the market over the last couple of days. Uh, I think the market is primarily sort of shrugging that off, focusing more on the inflation issue, because that's what's going to drive interest rates. And that's what's important to U.S. companies.
1: Tim, energy prices are on the rise. How high do you think they're headed?
5: Well, I think energy is a place that investors have to be. Uh, We're not going to go to zero in fossil fuels anytime soon. Uh, it's going to be part of our, uh, our life uh, for a long time, for decades. Uh, so, you know, the, the number in terms of how high the price is going to go, it's just going to be volatile. It always is. And, and you know, certainly geopolitics plays an issue there. Uh, but I think just in general, these companies are inexpensive and it's a place where investors have to have exposure.
1: What's the biggest threat to the U.S. economy right now in your eyes?
5: Well, certainly it's interest rates. You know, the Fed has been uh, raising interest rates aggressively for quite some time now. Uh, There's always the chance that they continue to raise rates to, uh, you know, quell inflation. Uh, We think they are close to being done, which is certainly going to be a a positive for the markets. It's what's driven the rally we've seen so far this year. Um, But uh, there's always the risk that they uh, raise rates again. And that's the biggest fear.
1: Tim, what's your advice for those individual investors out there?
5: Stay invested. Invest for the long term. Uh, don't worry about the day-to-day swings of the market or of geopolitics. Uh, over the long term, you're investing in great companies and hold them for the long term.
1: Any areas of the market that you f- you find to be cheap right now?
5: Well, Certainly, we love technology, uh, and I think what's happening with artificial intelligence is, you know, a real game changer. Uh, those are not cheap stocks by any means. They've had huge runs. Uh, you know, certainly, if you look at, at uh, places like uh, finance, uh, I think that is a, a, a sector that there are inexpensive stocks right now.
1: Any tech companies that you think are, are on the rise that may not be on our radar that you think uh, should be?
5: Well, I think they've, they've all moved big time. But, uh, you know, some of the old guard uh, are somewhat interesting. A Cisco, and IBM. You know, these are, are much less expensive tech stocks, and they still have a big installed base. Uh, and there may be opportunities in those, many of those names.
1: Tim, thanks so much for your time today. That's Tim Grisky, senior portfolio strategist, Ingalls and Snyder there in New York. Up next, in Personal Finance Wednesday, why downsizing your home – may not be your best move an economy of words the WBBM noon business hour continues it's personal finance Wednesday in this segment we're discussing the pros and cons of moving to a smaller home let's get some help from Guy Sakala executive chair inside mortgage finance in Bethesda that's in Maryland Guy thanks so much for your time today for years common advice for retirees was you need to downsize from a larger home to a smaller one well that dynamic has changed help us understand why
6: well the traditional thinking was based on the fact that you could sell your older um, larger home for more money than you would take to purchase your smaller downsized home there are a number of uh, challenges that have surfaced in the last few years and they're fairly numerous one of them is just higher home prices you may have bought your house 20 or 30 years ago don't have a mortgage And now you have to buy a house at a much higher uh, housing price market. Next thing is interest rates, which is always um, a challenge. And then there's just the availability of houses. There are not a lot of them to choose from. So it's not an easy step to take. And a lot of people are thinking twice about it.
1: When does it still make sense for people
6: to downsize? If you're moving geographically, it often makes um, sense, particularly if you're moving to a cheaper housing market area. Um, sometimes you can make the math work on that, and sometimes um, people are doing that. They're trying to be closer to uh, grandchildren or their own children or something like that. But that's not every case, and it really depends on the individual circumstances and what you can get a smaller house for. In many cases, some people are try- finding out they have to pay more for a smaller downsized house than they um, did f- on what they got from their original house.
1: How concerning is it for people making assumptions about the interest rate? Like, you know, if you're close to seven or around seven, where are you going to buy? And you're going to say, well, in two years, I'll be able to refinance. How risky is that assumption?
6: Um, It seems to be getting riskier and riskier. (laughs) No one thought that we'd be um, near 7% or above 7% for so long. So I think there's definitely a risk there. I think really downsizing, um, if you're committed to that, you have to think about renting. Um, renting is a good first step. You're not making a total commitment, and it may be um, a good interim step while you monitor interest rates.
1: Finally, Guy, what's your number one piece of advice for those considering
6: downsizing? Um, Do the math. Figure out, you know, how much it's going to cost you to actually downsize in terms of housing costs and whether that's something you can live with and it's affordable, not just right away but over, you know, five, uh, six years.
1: Guy, thanks so much for your time today. That's Guy Sakala, executive chair inside Mortgage Finance in Bethesda. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday and still to come, details of a massive deal in the oil industry. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. ExxonMobil is acquiring shale driller pioneer natural resources in a stock deal valued at nearly $60 billion dollars let's discuss that with the implications of the purchase with phil flynn senior market analyst price group and fox business news contributor right here in chicago phil thanks so much for your time today this is a huge deal for the u.s oil industry could you help us understand why
7: you know, I think what's happening here is that ExxonMobil wants to expand its ability in the shell spat, patch and basically control more of what's happening down in the U.S. shell patch. Uh, the, the part of the area that they bought from Pioneer is in the sweet spot of the U.S. shell industry down in Texas, where, the, where Exxon hasn't had as much exposure. So by doing that, they're going to acquire properties that have the potential to produce a lot more oil in the future even though exxon says they have no plans to really expand on on that production right now
1: speaking of potential what could be the potential consequences of the merger including a potential antitrust face-off
7: i don't think we're going to get an antitrust face-off here because really nothing's going to change for the u.s consumers Uh, So I don't think there's going to be a lot of blowback on this merger. I think what you're seeing here is a, 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 a minor company being bought by an oil major. Um, And I think you're going to see more of that. Let's face it, these smaller shell companies right now are printing cash. They're doing very well. And some people might argue that Scott Shelfield sold to ExxonMobil cheap and that he should have held out a little bit more. But I think if you look at the big picture, what it means for the U.S. energy industry is that the smaller players are looking for an exit strategy because they are really concerned about the regulatory environment they're facing, and they might... You know, Pioneer I think took a lower price just to avoid what could be coming on the regulatory front. Um, you know, as far as ESG and other issues.
1: Phil, ultimately, what do you think this means for oil prices long term?
7: You know, I don't think it matters a lot. Listen, I think the bottom line is, is it shallow oil. Uh, we have plenty of it in this country. I think ExxonMobil is going to continue to produce it. Uh, so I, I don't think it really has an impact. But I do have a bigger concern, you know, about the direction the company country is going uh, as far as um, restricting drilling and putting on more regulations. I think that if we don't get... Um, more in tune with the demand side of the equation and allow the producers to do what they need to do, we're going to be facing an era of higher prices. And I don't think this deal is going to make a difference to, to avoid that coming price spike that we're going to potentially see in a few years.
1: Phil, thank you for your insight today. That's Phil Flynn, Senior Market Analyst, Price Group, and Fox Business News contributor right here in Chicago. Hey, if you missed any part of today's noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and, of course, on the Odyssey app.